There came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice earlier he said they cannot see the kingdom of God, which is to perceive. Uh, unless you're born again, you cannot perceive the things of God, nor can you enter it at the end of verse 5. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So in verse 8, he gives us a description of what being born of the Spirit is. But in verse 7, he says, ye must be born again. And verse 6, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So here is the thing that we must, and Jesus says, you must be born again. Now, born again... We're going to be looking at that term. It's also called regeneration. Uh, Peter says begotten again. So we're going to look at what is regeneration. What is the new birth? Uh, John Ruskin, who was a man in 1800s, who said this, The first and last and closest key question to any living creature is, What do you like? Go out into the street and ask the first person you meet, what do you like? What are your tastes? And if he answers you honestly, you will know him body and soul. What we like determines what we are and is a sign of what we are. You know, that's something Mother, uh, I don't know if she taught me how to do it, but she made me aware that if you allow a person to speak for any amount of time, you can already tell what type of person they are because you can see what their interests are. Do they have humility? Is it pride? You can kind of depict what they are. But here is the big thing that is asked here. What do you like? What are your tastes? And that's the big thing. Um, man has moral taste and physical taste. Man has both a moral taste and physical taste. Uh, what one likes as a moral being, what he likes in relation to God and his word, will determine what he is as a moral being and a sign to others. You can know yourself, and others can know you by this taste test. What do you like? Moral taste is moral desire, and moral desire determines moral deeds. So what is your taste morally? Now, in Psalm 27, and we are going to be going to a couple different places, but turn with me to Psalm 27. We're going to see a desire of David here. Psalm 27, verse 4, 
says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. What is David's desire? What's his inner desire? What is his taste? One of the things that uh, the girls did, and I know I've brought this up before, um, I don't know if you all have had a, a experience like that, but they set up a camera and they said, Dad, sit down, and uh, they wanted to interview me just for, you know, landmarks, historical things, knowledge to pass down, wisdom, any kind of wisdom that, you know, I just wanted to get recorded. It, it's not morbid, but it, but it was good to do it uh, because I did something similar with my mother uh, before she passed away. And as I sat there, you know, I said, this, this, what I say now is going to be the most impactful thing that I'm going to tell them that there, there's the wisdom to leave to them. And I got to thinking, what is the most important thing? What, it, what are my tastes of this life? And, you know, I got to the point where there is nothing more important than your relationship with the Lord. I didn't tell them how to do investment banking. I didn't tell them how to make a good living. I didn't tell them how to raise their children. I told them to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. So we, I mean, often, you know, we see from the word of God that we acknowledge our sin before God, just as David acknowledged that I sinned against you. And this was the heart towards God. But we also acknowledge God in all our ways, not just when we sin. We don't acknowledge that we've sinned against God, but in all our ways. We lean not onto our own understanding, but we lean on the Him and seek Him first. And so that is what the only thing that I said, this is important. <laughs> you need to know this in your life. You know, just as we see that, we see that all throughout the word of God, Solomon passing down the wisdom and David passing down the wisdom and Isaac passing down the wisdom. It's seek the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding. And when you acknowledge him in all your ways, all your ways, he will direct your path. Acknowledging him not only to yourself, but to others. Give God glory, you know, so... Um, we certainly acknowledge to ourselves and to others exactly what God is doing to each of his children. He's leading us and directing us and guiding us. So that was what the taste is. Now, the thing is, is in regeneration, before regeneration, natural man also has moral taste and physical taste. A man who has been regenerated, born again, will have moral taste and physical taste. Dr. Brodus said this is a threefold test. What do you read when you are tired? Or in our days, what would we watch when we're tired? What, would, what do we think when we're by ourselves? And where do we go when we're away from home? So we see from the word of God that every man and every woman needs 
to be born again. That's what Jesus says. That's, you have to have that. You must be born of the Spirit, or you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not uh, perceive it or go there. Uh, mankind does not like, and man in their natural state has zero taste for God. Zero. They do not long for God's presence as David did. They would rather shun God and ignore him as Adam and Eve chose their will over God's will. The natural man has no taste for the things of God. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We see what some of these tastes are before the Lord saved us that, every, that is common to all natural men. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which means unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Variance means you have a contentious spirit. You want to always debate. Emulations is you are fiercely defending why you're debating. Your emulations is you are defending the variants that you have. Then wrath, strife, seditions, which is divisions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Revelings is a drunk parade. You just go out on a night at the town and just parade around. And such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the taste that a natural man has. In 1 John, he also talks to us about how naturally this, these are the things which we love. What do we love as a natural man? We love the things of the world. And we love the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the things, that's our taste, which we have. Regeneration, also, hold on, I want to talk about this just for a second. Natural man would not enjoy heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Have, a natural man does not enjoy heaven. And so it goes to, to, to say, it goes without saying, natural man won't enjoy church either. They won't enjoy assembling and worshiping and learning from the word of God. They want to shun church. Um, I can't remember who it was that had said this, Bonham, uh, Vadi Bonham, uh, that's his name, had, had made the comment, and it's so true, that everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go there, and you know what? They're, they're pleased to say that they're a Christian, but nobody wants to go to church. They, they enjoy calling themselves a Christian, and they enjoy the fact, the idea, oh, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but they don't enjoy the things of God on earth. They don't enjoy the assembly. They don't enjoy the fellowship. Uh, is the church perfect? No. Are you going to find hypocrisy? Yes. Are you going to find people who are doing things out of the flesh? Yes. And we're going to find spiritual uh, battles, but we're also going to be taught patience and kindness and love and gentleness and meekness. You, you must have resistance for those things to grow. 
Muscles must have resistance for things to grow. Uh, how many times that uh, you are challenged in your faith or in the spirit, you're at a good place spiritually, you've just prayed, you've just studied, you've just sang hallelujah, you got chills all over you, and then five seconds later you have somebody or something that immediately challenges that joy and that peace, that serenity of the spirit that you have. Well, that happens all the time, doesn't it? I mean, so rather than the discouragement, rather than it bringing you down, rather than it taking you out of the spirit and putting you, not that you can leave the spirit, but out of the, the, the fruits of the spirit, you go back into the flesh and you start getting angry and you start uh, talking back and things like that. Let's, let's view that resistance as a way to grow. Now, how can I meet this challenge in the spirit? And the Lord will teach you, and you'll grow. And so we see that that is the thing that is needed. Now, uh, men and women who don't like to go to church, they're going to have an awful time in heaven. Because what do you think we're going to do in heaven? We're going to worship and praise the Lamb of God forever and ever and ever. And so um, it's just baffling sometimes that people just want to... Uh, Skip out on church. Now, I'm not to, not to say that, and I do want to make this clarification. We are, we still have the flesh. So we still have temptation. We still, uh, the Lord had said that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we do see Paul over and over uh, say, you know, do not uh, be submissive to sin. Do, do not be submissive, but actually uh, surrender your bodies to be servants to whatever you surrender to you are the servant to and so that spiritual fight is on so not to say that if when you're alone or you're tired and you turn something on uh, if it's not spiritual if if it's fleshy uh, that's not to say you don't have the spirit you know uh, so I did want to reiterate that so it's not a hundred times or a hundred percent of the time so moving on now that we understand at first What's our taste? Think about that. The taste test. What, what is our taste? If I were to ask you, what do you like? Well, you're, you may give me fleshly answers, but is there any part of you that desires God? Is there any part of you that desires and you have the love of God? It's going to come out. It's going to come out. And like I said, it's not 100%. Look at David. David was a man who was after God's own heart. David's David sinned. David failed the Lord. He got into the flesh and he did things wrong and he allowed sin to tempt him into sinning. Uh, but he still had a heart towards God. He had the desire. He had a taste for God. So if a man has no taste for God, then that's the unregenerate man. That is natural man. So what is regeneration? Regeneration is the aspect of salvation, and here's the definition, which the dead sinner... The sinner with all their faculties in the soul and moral ruins, they're paralyzed towards God and his holiness, is made suddenly a child of God with a taste for the things of God. Regeneration will add a taste for the things of God. Regeneration is necessary. Now, these three words I'm gonna, uh, we're going to put a lot of importance on. The soul. The soul is heart, mind, and will. What's depraved before God as the natural man? The soul. Your heart, your mind, and your will. 
after regeneration comes and God changes that disposition, he changes your disposition of heart, mind, and soul towards him. So this is what he does. It's the gracious work of God on our soul which he enables our hearts to love God. He enables our minds to understand and comprehend the things of God. What is that? That's perceiving the kingdom of God, right? You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. That's perceiving. That's understanding. That's acknowledging the kingdom of God. So regeneration does that, being born again, the new birth. But it's also though our will is brought to choose the things of God. Um, John Favell in 1691, he says this, the heart of man is the worst part before regeneration and it's the best part afterward. <laughs> I like that. Some things we need to define, regeneration is not bringing a new person into existence. Now you've heard the Bible say we're new creatures created in Christ, we're new we're new men. Uh, regeneration is not bringing a new, completely foreign, different person into existence within you. It's actually resurrecting a dead one. Regeneration is he quickens us with his spirit, and we've been regenerated. We've been raised again. Resurrection is life from death. So we see this many times in the word of God. We see Paul talk about it. I'm crucified with Christ, and of the list I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Uh, Paul talks about the, the new man that's within us has been raised again in the newness of life. Um, baptism not only pictures the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also pictures what has happened already on the inside and what will eventually happen to us on the outside. Uh, it's already been accomplished. The resurrection's already been accomplished within you. That you were dead in sins and trespasses, and God sent his spirit. With, by his power, he raised that dead person from the dead. And now he has enabled us to love God, understand God, and go to God. That's regeneration. And that is uh, what baptism pictures and many things. But... Re, uh, regeneration is not bringing a new person into existence. Even the, even the natural man has those three elements, soul, mind, and uh, heart. But to the lost person, they have a mind and they can think but they, and they can understand, but he does not like to think about God and he cannot understand the things of God. Romans 3.11 says there's none that understandeth. There's none that seek God. The natural man has a heart, so he does and feel love, but he will not love the things of God. First John says, he who is born of God loves. If you don't have the love of your brother, you don't have the love of God within you. The natural person has a will, so they go around choosing what to do all day long, but they will not choose God. Romans 3 again describes the person who is natural. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Their feet are swift to shed evil. The way of peace do they not know. Regeneration or the new birth is God fundamentally changing the taste of our mind, body, and soul. He's made us alive and now we have a taste for the things of God. Before he does that, we do not. 
We have those facilities, but they're ruined. They're depraved. They're bent towards sin. They're not bent towards righteousness. So it takes God to effectually do that work within us. I mean, it's, it takes a miracle of God for us to hate the things that we once loved and love the things once, that we once hated. And that's what God has done. Now, regeneration. The new birth is not an eradication of the sinful nature, but it is the imparting of a new nature. So the old sinful nature, as you all are very well aware, is still there. And it's still warring against us. And Paul goes on about that, about the warring of our two natures. It's a duality. Um, he says, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Actually, I don't know if you're still in Galatians, but look at chapter 5, verse 17. Galatians 5, 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit... So what does that mean? Both still exist. And the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The lost person does not have the spirit, they just have the flesh. Now there's a spirit of man, but it's not the Holy Spirit. So in Romans chapter 8, flip back with me if you would, to Romans chapter 8, a few pages over. Now, a lot of this I know is review, and, but it's good to get down scriptures and make some observations. In Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, there's a big distinction here, and I don't want to go a long time into this distinction but he is talking about being in a state of flesh here. He's not talking about acting out in the flesh. Uh, verse 7, or look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Every natural person born in Adam, all of us had a carnal mind. Okay? That is the noun form. It's not saying I'm thinking carnally. We have a carnal mind. It's a state of hate. It's a stony heart towards God. You cannot, you do not love God. You cannot understand the things of God. You are in a state of enmity against God. Uh, verse 7, because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You cannot perceive it or be convicted by it. You can have guilt within you, um, but that's your conscience bearing you guilt. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. How did you become in the spirit? You must have been born again. God must have done that work within your heart, given you the Holy Spirit. So if so, and the, the Holy Spirit does not go away, but God had implanted and imparted within us a new nature. For right now, it's cohabitating the old one. Still, the old man's dead, crucified and gone, but we're still in these fleshly bodies who war against us. Verse 9, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he has none of his. He's not been born again. And so that was the conversation he had with Nicodemus. You must have the spirit. You must be born again. So 
we see that it's not an eradication of the sinful nature, but the, an impartation of the new nature. Now, there's two aspects of the new birth. So we've talked about the nature of regeneration. We talked about asking ourselves, what do we like? What do we like? Is, is there any element in there for your desire of God? Or is everything you like of the world? If so, that, that, might, that might be a red flag. Now, we know we're not perfect. We know we sin against God. But there is something there that still fears and loves the Lord. And knows if you're backsliding, it's only because God's allowed it. And there's fear <laughs> that resides there. Um, so we know that the taste test, and now we know what the nature of regeneration is. It's God fundamentally and essentially changing the dead and bringing them alive into what? Mind, heart, and soul. The things that were bent away towards God are now bent towards God. Even though we still dwell in the flesh and have these fleshly desires, we war against it. Uh, that's what Paul said, I found a law within myself. When I want to do good, evil's still present with me. Now, there's two aspects of the new birth, of regeneration. There's the passive and the active. First, the first phase of regeneration, the new birth, the heart, the mind, and the soul is passive, meaning that it must be acted upon first. God changes the governing disposition of our mind, souls, and body by a creative act. Without the use of any means and without any cooperation on our part. How could we cooperate with God raising us from a dead state if we're dead? The first part of the new birth, God acts upon us because we cannot act upon ourselves. We're dead. Uh, ask the blind person, why don't you just start seeing already? How can they do that? They, can't, they have no power within themselves to do that. Go ask a dead person or... Why don't you just go ahead and get up? Well, they can't do that for themselves. They, have, they don't have the power. They don't have the ability. They must be acted upon. And that is the same way the Bible uh, teaches that we are, before Christ saves us, we are dead in sins and trespasses. Remember in Ephesians, he says, You hath he quickened who were once dead in sins and trespasses. So we must be acted upon. There is no such thing as a self-birth. Uh, self, there is no such thing as a leopard's changing their spots. Self-birth is impossible. A mother must give birth, and God must give us spiritual birth. Now, the second phase, uh, once God has acted upon you first, the second phase of the new birth, he has enabled us to perceive the gospel and the things of God. Repentance and faith are both done from the heart they're done from the heart and it's, in a it's a response of the sinner to God's work in their heart um, you know there, you all know there's a lot who are confused out there about this and once you start looking scripturally at all of the at what the description of us are as being depraved and without life and then 
we see what regeneration is. Regeneration, like I said, doesn't facilitate a brand new person, but what he does is he regenerates the old person to where now we can feel, we can hear, we can see, we can have our will towards God. And when the gospel is preached, then we become willing in the day of his power. He has enabled us to do it with the Holy Spirit. That's the new birth. Um, the truth is, in John 1.13, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Scripture and observation proves this to us. I mean, you don't have to be spiritual to see that God changes lives, and he changes them miraculously. I mean, just a person one day, and then they're saved, and then they do a 180. And they're a completely different person the next day. There's no self-help book that will allow any person to do that. That is the work of God. So we see the work of God. Now, to deny these two aspects of the passive and active. The passive is God acts upon you. That's the passive. He must act upon you first. And then the second part of regeneration is now we have become willing. Now we see our state before God. He's opened up our minds of understanding. We understand the gospel call. We have a will to be saved. Once we see uh, those two things, you, you, you cannot deny that those two phases have to exist in the new birth. Because, first of all, I mean, if you deny that God acts upon you, then what you're saying is you can have an unregenerate believer. You can, have a, you can have someone who's not born again but a believer. That's impossible. But if you deny also that God enables us to come to him by the working of his power, but we still have a choice to refuse him, then what are you going to have? You're going to have born-again unbelievers. Now, is that possible? No, both of these things must be true, that God must act upon us. Otherwise, you won't have the spirit. You won't be alive. And then you would have an unregenerated, an unborn again believer, impossible. Or if you deny that God has given us the desire to choose him, that our will is to choose him because we realize and understand our current state, then we are regenerated and we are not going to walk away from God so both of those things must be there all right so we really we talked about the nature we talked about what it is uh, now why is it needed now we have talked about this a little bit of why regeneration is needed but we're going to go in a little bit deeper depravity of the human nature requires it makes regeneration necessary I think I've already kind of said that point. Because we're depraved, we have total depravity. That does not mean that we're as depraved as we could be, but that means that we're dead. And there's, like we saw last week, it's not a degree of being dead. No one is a worse degree of being dead than another person being dead. There's an extent of being dead. There's a, a rottenness, or, but they're both dead. So total depravity says, yeah, you do have the capacity to be worse but you're still dead you're totally depraved there's no good quality within you that makes regeneration necessary Paul reminds the Jews that just being a descendant of Abraham did not make them the children of God 
He says that the children of promise are counted for the seed. Man has an inherited, corrupt, fallen nature. And we're going to talk about uh, Adam, you know, the first man who had squandered that and spiraled the human race. And anybody born in Adam had received, inherited a depraved nature. Uh, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And so we have that nature. Um, some may say, you know what, and you may hear that, you may hear this too, I, I know that I've done wrong, but I have a good heart. How many times do you hear people say that? And, you know, they, they may even intertwine some Bible that they've heard 20 years ago in Sunday school. And it's so sad to see somebody build their entire life and hope up on just strands of misinformation. I do, but I've got a good heart. Well, here's the thing is the Lord says that our heart is not good. Jesus says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus says fornication, adultery, all these things, well, guess where they come from? They come from the heart. And then you act out upon those. Those are the desires. Uh, in Mark 7, 21, that's what he says. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. It's not what you put in the mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your heart. Man will naturally love the things that are contrary to God. He must be born again in order to love God. Um, 1 John 4, 7 goes into that. and We don't have time, but also, so that's the desires, that's the heart. Now, what about the human will? The human will is antagonistic towards God. What did Satan tempt Eve with? Eve, not his will, your will. Our will is antagonistic towards God. We do not surrender to the will of God. What did Jesus demonstrate to us? He was on her. That we must surrender, obey, and put in priority in our lives the will of God. Above all other things. Not my will, but thy will. So we must surrender to that. And But the natural man, it says, all we like sheep have went astray. We've all gone our own way. We all have a stubborn, independent will. And many times it'll go into conflict with what the will of the Lord is. I mean, talk about one of the biggest ones. I know this is a big one. He says, return evil with good in the word of God. Now try to do that in the flesh. What would your will be? I mean, that's hard. Take that on any degree of level to the most petty, to the most awful of things somebody falsely accuses you and you know the internet you know the media it doesn't matter if you're proven innocent or guilty if you're brought up on charges they post it and it goes viral anybody could bring an indictment against me and I've not done anything wrong anybody could come up and say you know what I, I'm charging you for this and then I'll have my day in court, but before then, I've already been sentenced and hung by the court of public opinion. How many times do we see people, I mean, and I feel like that's reckless, honestly I do, by the news, by the media, to post pictures and what the crime is they're being accused of on the internet before there ever any courts or any rulings or anything like that. 
It doesn't matter if they're guilty or not guilty. They're going to have to move. They're going to have to get off the grid. You're falsely accused. I mean, look at Joseph. Now, could you turn around to that person and sincerely pray for them? Care for their soul? Or pick up their kids? Or feed them? How to return evil with good? Well, that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you can't do it. You have to surrender to the will of God. The will of God is that you return that evil with good. Your will is, I want to, hmm, I, I want to set the record straight. I want to clear, you know, all that stuff. So many times we battle what, our, what we want to do, and we don't, well, most of the time we do know what God wants us to do but we ignore it because my fuel, my, you know, the pride and everything is taken over. So we must, being having the spirit is understanding and surrendering to the will of the Lord. Jesus says, I came not to do my will, but the will of the Father which sent me. That should be our mind. That should be our desire. That should be our life. I've said many times that you know, I, I do have, the Lord's blessed me with a wonderful job uh, for these last 24 years, but that job is not what my life is about. That job is not why God has me on this planet. My job is here. My job is with the Lord's people. My job is uh, trying to lead my family in a godly way, whatever circumstances there may be. There could be challenges in your home, um, but we see that we must prevail. We must you know, fight the good fight of faith. And that, the things that war against this, our spirit and the flesh and the things of that nature. And we must press on. And the Lord has us here to bring him glory to others. Not only to draw us closer, but to be lights. To be salt. Not to act the same way the world acts when they're uh, unjustly accused but to act the way that the Lord acts. And so that is surrendering to his will. Also, the mind must be enlightened to perceive the things of God. The natural man does not understand the things of the Lord. We, we all know that. Uh, I'll read quickly. First Corinthians 2.14, For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Have you all heard this story? There was a little girl who from birth, had really bad eyesight, and it was just degenerating. But her parents didn't realize that she was losing her sight and just didn't have any sight since her birth. Well, one day they, they did realize it, and they took her to the optometrist, and the optometrist uh, just had a surgery for her. And so the little girl stayed the next week in a dark room recovering from this surgery on her eyes and one day she said you know at night she went out and she went out into the lawn and she looked up and she got excited and she ran into the house and her mom and dad and just yelling and yelling look at this thing look look what's out here look at this marvelous thing and her mom and dad rushed out into the lawn expecting to see who you know this uh, something and there was nothing. All they could see were the stars and the moon. That's all they could see. Now, now think about this. 
The stars and the moon never changed. Her eyesight did. The truth of God never changes, and it never will, but our eyesight does. When the Lord enables you to see and to ingest, and you'll see amazing wonders, as this little girl did. You see the glory of the stars, the glory of the moon. You will be able to see things, and it'll be a spring of joy and life. It'll be the water of life. It'll be the bread of life. It'll be, oh, just Jesus feeding us and teaching us, loving us, and bringing us to himself. That relationship, so sweet, sweeter every day. And that is what we see, the mind. God does that. God enables by his grace. We, we have nothing to brag about. It's not our ability that we've got sight. It's God who gave it. It's God who gave it because that is what regeneration does. He brings us the spirit and he opens up our minds and our eyes to where we can see. The lost person has the eyes of their understanding darkened. Last, what is the cause of regeneration? That means the power behind it. Now, I'm not going to spend, okay, I don't have enough time to spend time on the false views of it, but what it is, what it is, the Holy Spirit is the efficient cause of regeneration. The power of the Holy Spirit is immediate. It does not depend on the flow of things or any means to make it necessary, like baptism. The Holy Spirit does not depend upon you doing baptism or any rituals or rites. Jesus says it, it blows where it wants to blow. Uh, the gospel is hated and rejected as foolishness until the direct power of the Holy Spirit changes the governing disposition of our hearts. That's the, the, key, the key phrase. Regeneration puts a resurrected person in you who were once dead in sins and trespasses. You were blind and you could not hear. He has raised you from the dead inwardly. And he has put within you understanding, a heart towards God, and a will towards God. Um, the gospel is good seed. But good seed cannot make good soil. I want to leave you with that. Think about that. The gospel is the good seed. It's the word.